Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your week in IndyCar listener Q&A show. I have our cat Rosie sleeping on my right. Rocky is over my shoulder. We are doing one of my favorite new versions of the show, The Couch. The Couch Recording episode. Got some good stuff in here from our pal Jerry Sudduth putting together all of our questions. Brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. Hey, we got IndyCars. We got stuff to talk about. And it's already been a busy week with quite a few podcasts being posted. But hey, saving this one here for uh, later Wednesday afternoon. And so, trying to think of the things you might talk about coming out of the Circuit of the Americas Formula One weekend. A lot of positive stuff there. Written about a fair amount of that. Also did a podcast with our friend Alex Pillow, talking about his free practice one run with McLaren. A couple other things going on. I hope to put them in print, so I won't waste your time alluding to them right now. Why don't we just fire off with a show here? And, you know, uh, since I'm not connected to my normal system, we'll use the special recording system here to transition into your Q&A with a little bit of... The dumbest transition in the world of podcasts. Uh, Where do we go here among the... How many did Jerry say we had? Uh... 2,000 words worth of questions, y'all. Y'all are amazing. Um, That's a lot more than I get on average. Uh, To the racer mailbag. Uh, You say, hey, Ed Joris, you're going to open things up asking, do you think that someone like Henry Malukas has the potential to be IndyCar's answer to Dietrich Mateschitz, the uh, unfortunate person who passed away this past weekend owner of red bull energy drinks long time uh, an unwavering supporter of young talent you say do you think henry malukas might be indycar's version of uh, mr mattishitz given the money and resources he is devoting to driver development uh, and then potentially start doing that with his team well i would love for that to be the case I would love for HMD, Henry Malukas Drivers, the name of his trucking business, to be so immensely profitable that he could bankroll young driver after young driver for 20, 30 plus years. I don't know if we're going to be at the uh, Red Bull level there, Ed, because pretty much nobody's at the Red level, Red Bull level of funding. But there is great potential I know, even though we continue to hear straight from, say, Linus Lundqvist, spoke with him last week, and he said, yeah, I'm still trying, but really not having a lot of success to find the budget to go IndyCar racing. I know that Henry Malukas has an interest in trying to help. Where might that happen? Uh, I've written about how we are expecting some form of driver evolution at the Dale Coyne Racing Team that Henry is aligned with. We know that his son David will be in that number 18 Honda for another season. It's a two-year deal, so there's one more of that to go. On the other side, there's Dale Coyne's alignment with Rick Ware. Rick is the co-entry on the other car, the number 51 that Takuma Sato has been driving. Could there be something there where 
in the absence of a full-time driver in that number 51, if Takuma does end up going to a third entry just for the ovals, what might happen in that 51 car? Uh, could it be a case where there isn't a third entry and Takuma stays in the 51 just for the ovals and who knows whether it's a Marcus Armstrong uh, who has about $4 million I've heard over and over again to spend or could it be Henry Malukas getting involved in that Dale Coyne, Rick Ware, could it be plus HMD for Linus to be on road and street courses and they just stay two cars? Could there be this thing I wrote about a while ago and uh, some folks wanted to take shots at, but whatever, uh, about coin expanding to three full-time cars? What happens there? Again, there's a lot of possibilities here, Ed, and I know I'm just talking about next year on this, this bigger theme you're opening, but if Henry wants to help the the Linus Lindquists of the world and create some sort of pipeline where after going through Indy Lights with us, hopefully you'd have some money to bring, but if we think you're a real star, could you be an HMD person? Could you be a Henry Malukas driver? Could that be the, uh, the HMD Academy? I don't know. Uh, I do appreciate Henry's willingness to invest as much as he has already and for that to grow, but again, I don't know what that would look like here least in the short term, strictly due to entry numbers, entry alignments. Like I said, you already have Rick Ware co-entering on one of Dale's cars, Henry Malukas co-entering on another, uh, the other, I should say. Would Henry somehow get involved in the DCR-RWR relationship? Could that expand to a second full-time HMD slash coin IndyCar part-time split the ride I don't know but it's definitely something that I uh, I would love to see happen and of all the folks trying to do such things he's among the only that stand out to me right now in IndyCar so let, let's keep an eye on this one Ed love the question and hope that we see more evidence of such a thing being developed uh, Cody Oakwood, MP, could you give a rundown of any track work being done in the offseason? Any repaves, reconfigurations, safety upgrades, etc. that are planned at any of the tracks the NTT IndyCar Series will be visiting in 2023? Um, I have loosely followed the ongoing progress at Road America. So there is indeed a brand new repave going on there. So that's pretty cool. Laguna Seca is meant to have something new by the time we come back uh, and go racing again there next year. Uh, I'm aware of that. After that, what else? Keep hearing about something happening at Texas. I'll admit I don't have a full grasp on the timeline. I'm just looking at any of the other circuits. Uh, There's a whole new repave being done in Detroit. Well, I take that back. Uh, we're going to a whole new layout and area of the greater Detroit uh, region. There happens to be a lot of uh, new, 
I guess, tarmac surface being laid down on many of the streets that will be used uh, for the new downtown Detroit race, but that's not so much of a redo of a existing layout as that would be a uh, upgrade of one we haven't raced on or portions, many portions that we've never raced on. Some that were used, I do believe, again, as I recall, back in the day, the old Detroit Grand Prix. So after that, I think that's pretty much all that comes to mind. If there are other circuit renovations, repaves, you name it going on, um, drop me a note, let me know. More than likely that I have missed something somewhere. Uh, where do we go next? Thanks again for that, Cody, by the way. Uh, Bill Golker. How you doing, Bill? You say, Mr. Pruitt. You don't have to call me Mr. Pruitt, just mp marshall hey you idiot he says i don't remember if you've answered this before but why doesn't indycar go back to coda he says it seems so strange that, ar- that arguably the most significant road course in the usa is not used by indycar um i would not call that the most significant road course i wouldn't put it in the top 10 brother but uh yeah um you say Is it the proximity to Texas Motor Speedway, inability to fill such a large facility, unfavorable comparisons to F1 or something else? Um, I I assume you remember, Bill, we did go there for a very short period of time. Colton Herta's first ever victory in IndyCar was captured at Coda, made him the youngest winner of all time in IndyCar. Um, We went there. We, as the series and the people that support it, went there. Uh, there weren't a lot of other people, uh, Brother Bill, that went there to actually see it. So that's probably the, the biggest thing. Um, the inability to fill such a large facility. I mean, Formula One and MotoGP are the only ones to have cracked that code of all the series that have gone there over the years. And I've been there for most of those series majority of them sports cars but indycar is now included in that to your exact point even a really strong turnout 30,000 40,000 it's gonna look like the place is empty and i don't recall what the numbers were but yeah um not a lot of tickets sold definitely not a profit making visit uh there unfortunately and so, yeah, not a surprise that it did not go forward. Um, I can't really see us going back. Uh, we're not lacking road courses to go to in the U.S. There are plenty out there that uh, I think would be a much bigger draw, have much more history, provenance, etc., for us to go to. Um, if a circuit is going to put up a sanction fee, pay money, and have IndyCar come out, then find that, boy, we kind of lost our behinds on that, and it didn't look good for anybody. Hard to come up with a reason why we would go back, unfortunately. Uh, Sam Anadiotis, how you doing, Sam? Say, Marshall, glad to hear things have been trending in a good direction for you and your wife. Uh, Continued prayers as always. And I should say a big thank you to the many of you who uh, offer such things either each week in your submissions here for the podcast or the DMs or emails or whatever it is that I might get. Um, 
Thank you for that. Why don't we also turn our quick attention for those of you who uh, are of the uh, the type who are willing to or want to pray for others or just want to try and put good energy in the universe. Uh, one of our dear friends and listeners, Ryan Terpstra, you know, he and his family have been going through some uh, some tough times. So whatever it is, a little pick-me-up, a, a hello, a hope you're doing well, thinking about you, whatever, um, you might uh, spare some of those thoughts or prayers for Ryan and his family. Um, you say, in your opinion, thank you, Sam, I was going to use someone else's opinion, but you've helped define that, uh, and from what you've heard, how safe is Mid-Ohio's place on the schedule? You say, I love Mid-Ohio because it's my home track, and it's got some character. That it does, Sam, cannot argue at all. Both IMSA dropping Mid-Ohio and a noticeable lack of modern-slash-upgraded facilities compared to other venues, I worry that Mid-Ohio will lose its place on the schedule. So, great question, and I think a really easy answer that I'll drop up front. I have no concerns about Mid-Ohio falling off of the IndyCar schedule ever, basically. And there's a couple of main reasons. The first one is who owns the track slash is in charge of the track and promotes events. That would be the Green Savory Race Promotions Group. They are responsible for promoting about 25-ish percent, almost 25% of the events on the IndyCar calendar. It would be very hard for IndyCar to say, hey, place is looking a little bit like an old rusted out heap that needs a full restoration and if you don't restore it we're not going to come back because GSRP happens to wield a lot of power and influence on IndyCar's annual offerings so yeah Portland St. Pete Toronto and Mid-Ohio all four of those are green savory race promotion events hard to push the one that they truly that's theirs right everything else is either belongs to us well they all either belong to a city or county or otherwise uh, portland is is something owned that's again i believe whether it's a state county i forget the exact ownership chain but it's part of a state park so and that's not something that they own, but they do uh, promote the IndyCar event. Um, they're just a very powerful and influential group. And I'll say that in a negative way, like they can, they do throw their weight around a lot. I don't mean it like that. I just mean, do you really want to pull on that thread? Because if you do, the whole thing could fall apart. So there's that. And then there's another thing, which is just, to use a Juan Montoyaism, it is what it is. IMSA isn't in bed with Green Savory Race Promotions for a bunch of events. Not at all. Um, this isn't a track that their parent company owns, NASCAR slash ISC, International Speedway Corporation. Um, IMSA's in a unique place without a lot of ties to GSRP to say, hey, uh, eh, we have an opportunity to go race at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, 
and we would rather go there than your track because it offers a lot more things to us that we feel are of value. In what we're looking at with IndyCar, they're not so choosy. I don't know if that's a good thing. <laughs> I don't know if that's the best thing to, to acknowledge, but you know, we go to a number of tracks where it's a, they're either a little rusty and dusty, crowd turnout is soft, whatever it is. Things where you go, yeah, uh, I don't know if I'd keep that one, but IndyCar just really and truly is not that choosy. Uh, I've asked some questions in and around this topic of like, hey, uh, I don't know if you see things the way I see them, but there are a couple of tracks that uh, I don't know if they're in IndyCar's best interest to remain on the calendar and told, nope, don't see that at all. No risk of those going away. Everything's fine. So with all that said, Sam, I would sleep easy when it comes to IndyCar coming to your favorite home track. Why don't we go to Richard Ng? Say, what does the paddock think of Alex Pelot's free practice one performance? I think one of the uh, the the best things that I heard came from speaking with young Colton Herta, who said he was super impressed by what Pelot did, and yeah, as a guy who's tested modern. Formula One cars for the very same team. Um, I think he, like many of us, were really taken aback by Alex's performance there uh, being as quick as he was. So, yeah, as I, have an, as I have interpreted things just here a couple days after it happening, Richard, I think this levels Alex up a bit in terms of respect and regard. Uh, I've always thought that if he got a chance to do an FP1 or something like that, he would do well, but I did not expect him to do this well. So, yeah, I think got to reframe the guy a little bit. It's like, wow, dude, you're, you're, you might be playing with even more talent than we realized. Uh, let's see, what other questions are we going to get through here? And we're going to keep this a somewhat short episode i know famous last words i always say that but i i really do mean it this time i promise i promise um why don't we go to justin lee mp do teams ever optimize the setup based on how it can handle in traffic you say not on the ovals somewhere other than the ovals road and street courses you say there isn't much time provided on road and street courses uh, but usually drivers try to find a gap during practice to hot lap, and anyone that slightly ends up in their way is seen as the bane of their existence. What can be done setup-wise to make it better in traffic versus outright pace? Um, there's lots of time, actually, uh, provided on road and street courses, Justin, so that's not an issue. Uh, more than enough time to do multiple runs to then get multiple reads on setup direction. So not a problem at all. Anybody that suggests suggests otherwise, be it a driver, team owner, team manager, whatever, is talking out of their culo. Um, I can't think of any tracks that would be so crazily burdened with traffic, road and street courses, from start to finish, where you would alter the setup 
with the expectation that you never get a clear lap, never get a clear ability to break without having to break early because there's cars in the way, uh, never able to get back to the throttle authoritatively because you're having to dodge slower vehicles. Can't really see that as being an actual real-world situation, Justin, that would then lead teams to modify their setups. In a very broad sense... We're talking about qualifying. It's not uncommon to go slightly stiffer uh, on suspension settings. More downforce uh, at a track where that would be beneficial and elsewhere if it's achieving lap time through lots of straight line speed, then maybe you go lighter on downforce. But in a very general sense, in qualifying, you're going to tend to make the car way more reactive and dynamic and super sensitive to inputs. That's where you tend to get the most speed out of it because it just you barely you blink and the steering wheel just shoots left or right and the thing stops in a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a second and just, right hardcore race. Yeah, it's a little hard to hold on to. Roads, street courses, ovals, doesn't matter. It's really hard to hold on to a car that is just so alive beneath you that any little movement um, just causes it to to dart in whatever direction. Um, And so that's where you tend to go just a little bit softer on things. Allow the car to roll a little bit more, settle a little bit more, not be so crazy stiff like a skateboard. Um, So those are just kind of the norms, brother, where tending to go in that direction a little bit from qualifying into the race. If we're talking Long Beach, if we are talking wherever else, not not uncommon. So with that, you're then able to deal with traffic, deal with folks getting in your way, uh, blockages, hindrances, and whatnot, because the car is not on that proverbial knife edge all the time modify the setup so that you can react to these things without the car skidding off track or you you know getting totally crossed up and losing a ton of speed and time because of wicked oversteer snap oversteer understeer or whatever else so these are the things that actually teams just do naturally and trend towards naturally uh on road and street courses as is so it's a little bit built in uh jason lawyer how you doing, Jason? You say, a couple questions. Had any contact with Ron Hunter Ray on plans for the next year? Getting back into an IndyCar seat. Um, been a little while since I caught up with our man, um, Captain America, here. He is signed to Chip Ganassi Racing. Has been. He is their reserve IndyCar driver. Uh, he is, I think it's been announced. I believe it's been announced. He's going to be a part of their... Uh, IMSA GTP program with Cadillac, I think, uh, as an endurance driver, um, testing there as well. So I don't know about race seats. He is truly a Chip Ganassi racing driver, meaning he's not someone who's signed up a couple of different teams as clients, like, hey, I'll drive for you here and you there, and I can just bounce around and do a bunch of stuff because I'm kind of a free agent. He is truly (laughs) a fully signed driver for them, meaning that if you were to race somewhere else doing something else, it would require their permission. 
Have not heard anything about him racing in IndyCar for a season, partial season or anything else. Haven't heard of anything exactly on the Indy 500 level. Uh, I know he has a desire to get back there. That's one thing I need to reach out to uh, our pal and ask him about. But yeah, um, I think what he is done and accepting is an important role for Ganassi that isn't necessarily overflowing with race opportunities. What I need to get an understanding on here, Jason, is whether he's good with that just being a one or two year strategy uh, and then he's bound or determined to leave if need be and go elsewhere to race or what exactly his thoughts and plans are longer term. Uh, you asked, have I spoke with Jimmy Vassar, heard anything about him and Sully putting together a team in IndyCar? Uh, I think that ship might have sailed a little bit with Toyota saying they're not saying no to IndyCar, but they're saying not right now uh, as a, the factory Lexus slash Toyota team in IMSA. Uh, yeah, uh, that was the, the fastest ticket for them to get to IndyCar, but that is no longer happening um, on any timeline that I'm aware of. And if it does come back onto uh, the, the, their plate, we're talking a couple years away at minimum. Uh, let's see. Jeremy Davis. How you doing, brother? The world's biggest Chip Ganassi Racing and Scott Dixon fan. You say with Tony Kanon going to McLaren for Indy, is Ed Carpenter Kyle Busch's best landing spot with Menard's backing? Uh, no. Uh, spoke with the team yesterday, and they told me they plan on entering three cars. Uh, the three cars are the two full-time drivers and the guy who owns the team. Is it possible they could put together a fourth? Of course. It's always possible. But as... Uh, their uh, general manager, Tim Broyles, told me, and this is a, a common thing uh, I've heard from a number of teams so far on this topic, Jeremy, it's the quality, quality people needed to put together an extra entry, right? Whatever number that is for the team, third, fourth, fifth, tenth. It's not that folks can't be found. It's the quality of those folks they would want to have and entrust a car to because why bother putting a Kyle Bush, Kyle Larson, Kyle Kuzma, uh, whomever into a car for the Indy 500 if you know that you're not exactly surrounding them with, uh, you know, your, your, your A team. If the best you can summon is B and C teams, uh, type folks, I don't know if those are the drivers uh, you would want to do that with because, hey, look at the big-name person who's a champion in a major series, and they just did their first Indy 500, and they qualified uh, 29th and finished 24th. It's a big waste of time, and Ed Carpenter Racing is not a waste-of-time team. Uh, you also say, with Hendrick giving Kyle Larson the green light for Indy, is Ganassi the best option? Or would that be Ganassi teaming up with the track house? Etc., uh, etc. Et Lots of great questions here. Um, it all involves, if any of it were to happen, someone writing a very big check for this to happen. 
uh, Ganassi is not doing anything with any of its entries, whether it's for a single race, full season, Indy 500, you name it. Nothing goes on track unless it is fully paid for by someone else. And so if it's a Larson, if it's a whomever, if they were looking to put an extra car on track, in this case, talking Indy 500, someone's writing a probably $2 million check, and there aren't a bunch of those folks on the planet Earth who are willing to do that right now. If someone were willing to do that, and it happened to be something that brought a Larson, Bush, whomever with, uh, with that package, that would be amazing. But yeah, um, one of the things, and I fully understand, man, because I, I can do the same thing, is you see the name. You go, no way. We're going to get, name the driver is amazing. We're going to get him in the 8500. And you go, oh, yeah, that makes total sense. Always just have to take that unfortunate dose of reality and go, yep. And Chip Ganassi Racing does not pay anyone to drive their car, uh, his cars. Uh, he has sponsors in place to then pay those drivers and facilitate that entry. So if and when the reality part is solved, then we can start having fun. What I expect to happen, because I've been told a thousand times it's what will happen, is we'll get Jimmy Johnson back for the Indy 500 in that fifth entry. And at that point, that's all they got. So if it's not Jimmy, maybe some of these others could come play, could come be fun. I'll just throw in one other little dose of reality. Knowing that they just won the Indy 500, knowing that winning Indy 500s has really been the Achilles heel for the team, right? They've obviously won a number of them in the past. It's just had been a long time. Um... I don't know if now is the time to go playing around, right? Could Kyle Busch be amazing? Yes. Could Kyle Larson be amazing? Of course. Is this the time to experiment? Or is this the time to say, hey, we're not going to have a Kanon, and he was a huge contributing factor to our success. Why don't we try and lock in what we have, Jimmy also being a big contributor, let's just try and keep this model that worked as best we can, despite missing out on TK. Let's keep everything else as close as can be and not go into the month of May with real questions and discoveries and having to teach and right on the outside, Jeremy, I would say please do not. Um, this is not something that I think is going to make you a better team right now. Uh, can you go and have a name that special driver do Texas and who knows, maybe do something else to where they're coming into the month of May with a little bit of IndyCar experience already. That's the thing I would say, okay, that makes a little more sense to me, but trying to defend an Indy 500 win with a slightly depleted roster while having to help an amazing driver but a first-timer get up to speed, those aren't the actions uh, that I would be familiar with from a a team owned by Chip, run by Mike Hall. Um, Got a couple more quick quick ones here. Mitsuki, you're asking about digital advertising on cars that we saw McLaren do last weekend. Um... 
Yeah. Uh, I'll be very interested to see uh, what happens here in IndyCar if such things are allowed. Um, if we're waiting for this to be allowed with the new car, <laughs> we could be waiting a while. So I uh, hope to have some more info on this next time I speak to the series, if it's something they would allow right now and how they might integrate it. Uh, Steve Grinstead, you say, submitting this a second time. Thank you, Steve. You say, do you think multi-car teams have an advantage by adding a rookie? You say, could those extra minutes on track um, during weekends help, say, uh, Ray Hall, Adam, and Lanigan with qualifying? Mm, no, I, I can't really think of any benefits to that. And, you know, getting the extra set of tires uh, for that opening practice session on road and street courses, for example. It's a good thing. I'm glad IndyCar is doing it for rookies and, and whatnot. But, yeah, uh, I've yet to see a an example of this being something that gives a team an advantage, citing RLL, which obviously had a very rough start for the first half of the year. I know that Christian Lundgaard, super talented, uh, was having to learn a lot everywhere we went so that was another added challenge for him um and that's probably where the limitations come in you know if we're talking about a super high level road to indie-ish type driver um someone coming out of the usf championships presented by cooper tires or indie lights that again is kind of that colton herta pato award uh type talent knows all the tracks, has oval experience, has been to most of the road and street courses uh, in and through the ladder system. They still have a ton to learn in IndyCar, but in theory, they might have a little bit of a uh, possibility to give some, some beneficial feedback and input to the team uh, from getting that, that extra run time uh, on that extra set of tires. Other than that, just don't know if we've seen the evidence of it, Steve. Uh, especially when we have someone like a European driver like Christian having to learn the tracks as well. Um, and then also, how often do we have a true Colton or Pato type talent, right? So, yeah, love the idea. Just haven't really seen the um, the evidence of that so far. I got to roll here in a couple minutes, so let me uh, let me crank through the last two as quickly as I can. Uh, our pal Jeremiah Morrow. Hello, Jeremiah. Says, can you remember a more bitter rivalry between teams? Aero McLaren SP signing Tony Kanon, pursuing Alex Pillow. You say the two drivers to uh, deliver wins and NTT colors. They also he, let's wind it back and say they also got Felix Rosenquist, who did the same thing. So that's uh, a third driver to t deliver win and NTT colors. And you say and now taking NTT as well, which I reported. To believe that's going to be confirmed here sometime soon. And by the way, there's still the series title sponsor uh, at some point. Does Roger Penske get irritated? I don't know. Um, bitter rivalry? Yeah, I think this one's real. Like, really, really, really real. Uh, more so than I can think of in a really long time. And here's the big all-caps but. But uh, this rivalry is between Zach Brown slash McLaren Racing and Chip Ganassi. There might be some others below them on the managerial food chain who dislike the others across the the paddock from them what this isn't 
or the the men and women on the shop floor and all the other areas of both teams having an active dislike of each other. So I'm thankful for that. So we don't have torque wrenches and speed handles being swung at one another. This is more, you know, hey, this super millionaire is grumpy about this super millionaire. And, you know, yeah, let them fight over it. Isn't that kind of funny? Like, what the rest of us are just going to focus on, I don't know, like paying rent and putting food on the table. But you guys, go go after each other. Uh, Last quick thing here. You know, I'll actually save this for uh, LCQ, the last chance question show uh, that we started doing. I hope you like that, by the way. Uh, The traffic seemed to be pretty decent on it. So um, maybe Jerry will move this to the uh, top of that uh, LCQ episode from our pal Vincent1701. You have this place as the final question for this episode, but uh, I truly do indeed have to run. So let's save that. I'll lead off with the uh, LCQ. Uh, I don't even know if that's going to be... That one might actually be longer than this episode whenever I get that done. But, yeah, hope you enjoy those here during the off-season. Just trying to give you a little bit of extra IndyCar stuff. Uh, those questions that don't make it above Jerry's red line of death. So we'll make that little tweak here. Appreciate you. Appreciate Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. So for myself, my wife, Jabrell, Rosie, our cat, she just woke up. Rocky, who's snoring his behind off to my right. Uh, thanks for listening. I'll speak to you soon.